History happened everywhere. The verdict. This is our after-show podcast where we look back at the most recent episode, episode 50. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and check it out, or else there will be spoilers ahead. There's been sort of more erections around than I've ever seen in a long while. Hello and welcome to History Happened Everywhere, The Verdict. My name is Ryan Weir and I am here in the HHE studio with the boiled beef to my cabbage. It's Mr. Peter Goddard. I feel like that's a meal I would pass on. Thank you very much. Can I not be the spice tool of Vindaloo or something similar? <laughs> no. Okay, well I guess uh, at least I'm the beef. I've got that going for me. You do. You're a beefy man. <laughs> uh. I am also joined in the HHE studio by HHE's distended destroyer of dudes. It's Judge Dursley. Look at him in, in the flesh. In the flesh. I'm currently hiding under the table. How you doing, Paul? I'm not too bad. Not too bad, thank you. You've joined us in the studio today, which yes, is... Yes, you told me it was going to be a pub. <laughs> yeah, we were <laughs> going to do a pub, but we didn't quite make that, did we? Just another disappointment to add to the list. <laughs> <laughs> but look, before we proceed, I wish to be reminded of what once I heard. <laughs> uh, Peter, regale us with a 60-second recap, will you? I blooming will. Do it now! In our 50th episode special, we journeyed far and wide across the four nations that make up the United Kingdom and discovered the topic of 50 through the medium of people and places on the various 50-pound notes. A train took us to Bletchley Park, where we learned about the many talents of mathematician and co-breaker Alan Turing, then back to the rails to Edinburgh, to home of Dr Elsie Inglis, who set up a hospital for the poor and refused to go home and sit still, instead heading to help in the Crimean War. Then a plane to Belfast, into a car to the Bushmills Distillery and the prestigious Queen's University Belfast, staying at a rather swanky Europa Hotel. Then off again to Cardiff, our final stop where we learned that Wales never had a note issuing bank of its own. Sorry, Wales. That was last week's episode done. Summarised nicely. Nice one, son. Now we're over to a young Dursley who's gonna tell you what he thought of the He'll take you apart without any care. He's the lovely Paul Dursley. The lovely Paul Dursley. Oh, yeah, now I remember. Remember all that? Yeah. <laughs> you were there. You were literally there. <laughs> now you've reminded me. I do remember visiting four countries in four days. Yeah. But look, we're not here for my memories. We are here to learn the opinion of only one man. <laughs> Whose withering scorn in the flesh is kind of worse, I think, than hearing it down the line. It's quite terrifying, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. uh, we're here in the judge's court. And so, Paul, please, will you tell us, what were your thoughts on episode 50? Well, you got through quite a lot in a very short time for one of your episodes, which is a positive. Um, sound quality was a bit rubbish. Yeah. Yeah, I knew that was coming up. I, I, I didn't know about the, the Scottish clinician. Dr. Elsie Inglis. Yes. So she was English, but Scottish. She was a remarkable woman. That it really stayed with me, that whole go home and sit still thing that she was told. It was like, not even just go home, go home and sit still, don't even move. Hmm. Crazy times. I just wish that my boss would tell me that. <laughs> yeah. Right, oh, like, you're a different right. class of character. Go home and sit still. Okie dokie. Here we go. <laughs> so I had a question that you may be able to help me with, Paul, because I'm still not really clear on it, which was that we went to four countries in four days, but it is also one country because it is the United Kingdom, which begs the question for me is what is a country? I suppose it's the polity that is defined as 
in charge? The the Wikipedia answer was extremely vague. It was just a collection of people with something in common. It, well, that didn't really help me at all. So that means everybody on Earth has something in common. <laughs> right, and ultimately yeah. you could have a global nation. That's what the New World Order wants. The lizard people want to rule us over as a single global entity. Yeah. But then I tried a country, and that was a bit more helpful. And that was, uh, as you say, the, the a political unit, essentially. But even that was requires people to recognise that it is a political unit, right? There are countries that claim to be countries that don't get recognised by mm-hmm. either the United Nations or specifically individual countries might not recognise people. So the State of Israel, some people recognise, some people don't. And it seems like such a simple concept when you first scratch the surface of it, you go, oh, oh yeah, well, I know what a country is. But then when we're in the UK, we're like, well, Scotland's a country but it's part of the United Kingdom which is a country so it has its government but it's a devolved nation so it's got some government from London and some from Edinburgh and all in all it becomes a lot more complicated a lot more quickly than you think well I, I think it's a sui generis case a what what, what case a uh, sui generis is a sort of it's a one-off case it's it's sort of it's about the only one that sort of all of the definitions never seem to quite work. So you have to come up. So Scotland and Wales are not recognised by anyone because they're not countries to be recognised. Whereas Israel is a country that is not recognised. You know, a lot of it went way back to the Acts of Union when uh, Scotland effectively took over England, and of course James the uh, first quickly left Scotland. Funnily enough, mm. and I think he only ever went back twice. He was busy hunting witches, though, wasn't he? That'll keep you busy. It will. There's a lot of them out there. They fly, which makes it harder. <laughs> yeah, so it is... Yeah, it's strange, because I, th- I think as well, so if you go way back to... I, th- I think initially the Scots did want the same laws as the English, but it was the English who said no, which is why Scotland has a separate legal system and a separate and has always had a separate legal system and a separate educational system, whereas Wales, which is a diff- yet, yet another different case, is because Wales is not technically a kingdom Mm. and so for legal purposes wales doesn't exist it's a part of an entity called england and wales so arguably england does not exist in that case it's a part of england and wales whereas northern ireland again then became a specific case as it was part of ireland which was a kingdom in the united kingdom on the island of ireland that then broke into two with a sixth of it moving to britain and five sixths of it becoming independent and again, all of these cases are you know, one-offs. Do you know? I think I think it's a ca- it's case. A lot, a lot of this legally is well, it's a common law jurisdiction, and basically anything goes. And we made the rules up. So, can we declare the independent kingdom of the HAT Studios? Well, we all have, share something in common, right? We could issue some currency. Yeah. Resource-wise, we're a little uh, deprived, though. <laughs> if we could find oil somewhere in the flat, that would be helpful. I'm sure if I dug deep enough, I'd find some gas main or something. <laughs> I've struck That's gas. called theft. <laughs> but yeah, so it is the kingdoms, right? Well, yeah. The United Kingdom. We've had a queen now for a long period of time. Yes. How come that hasn't changed the United Kingdom? Because the titles are always in the masculine. It's one of those, the masculine includes the feminine, and the feminine includes the masculine. Mm. But I think we should change it, just saying. The, to the United Kingdom? Yeah. But it won't be for very long. <laughs> I was going to just say that, and then I felt bad. <laughs> and I thought, well, I'll just wait for you to say it. <laughs> <laughs> My suspicion is they'll keep the queen going by an- animatronics. Uh, even after she's gone, she'll still appear with that one arm moving. Right, 
like, like Brezhnev. Like, uh, it'd be like going to Chuck E. Cheese's, going to Buckingham Palace. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All these animatronic I don't know what you're families. talking about. <laughs> He's talking about, like, the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. Oh. That was a helpful intervention. <laughs> I am okay, imagine Madame Tussauds where all the people move around a bit thanks to hydraulic. Oh, when they move around very jerkily. Yes. Yeah. Although not anymore. There's some crazy footage of the stuff that Disney Imagineers have come up with. When the robots rise up, I refuse to be oppressed by uh, a Disney robot. That doesn't feel right at all. Really? I don't want... What uh, about a mean one? Ursula from The Little Mermaid. What if she's in charge? I've never seen The Little Mermaid. Imagine a woman. Yes, I'm there. <laughs> that is half no octopus. <laughs> oh, now I'm there even more. So. <laughs> yeah. I'm there with bells on. So she's got octopus four woman. legs. Yeah, yeah. No, she's got two legs and an octopus head. What do you think? Yeah. Well, octopus is if you're half an octopus, you'd only have four legs. No, from like the belly up, she's a woman. Belly down, <laughs> just full on tentacles. Although anyway, she's two legs one. with an octopus head. <laughs> she's like a sea witch. Ah. She's the one who gives um, I will, so I Ariel will, the, the ability to have, to have legs when she's on land. Okay, I will succumb to a sea witch. I'll give you that. Well, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how we got to that. Let's bring this back on track. <laughs> Wasn't this all to do with the Queen? <laughs> it started with the Queen and then it went really wildly south. <laughs> uh, but let's start at the beginning of our journey. So, Paul, have you ever been on a train? Yes, I was on one coming here. Oh, very good. Surprisingly, I didn't have passport control. I'm always uh, surprised that you don't arrive places in a palanquin. (laughs) What's that? One of those, you know, the guys carrying a little carriage on their shoulders as they run around. Well, it's it's not a sedan chair, but it's the same concept, Ah. being carried by people. Is it the same name as that little creature that's got like a hard shell and eats ants? You're thinking of the pangolin. Pangolin, yeah. Mm. Similar. Yeah, Captain Corelli had one of them, didn't he? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so you've been on a train. I think we've established now you've been on a train. Well, we got the train to Bletchley Park, and it was a fun adventure, was it not? Would you have gone from Arleyburn? Change at Euston. Anyway, this is besides the point. So we (laughs) went from Euston. Okay, that's all I needed to know. So we got on the train, didn't we, Peter? We did. And we were like, let's go. Off we go. And we got how far? 800 metres? I would have said 200 (laughs) metres. Ground to a halt. The train stopped. We sat there for 10 minutes and then it reversed back to the station (laughs) in an (laughs) ominous foretelling. The word inauspicious was invented for the start of our journey. Drive 500 yards. Come back, <laughs> sit in the station. <laughs> and no doubt you were not told anything about this. There was some information provided. Through that voice that says, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, <laughs> 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 the train, important. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely need to know that. <laughs> <laughs> Nuclear attack. <laughs> <laughs> We went to Bletchley Park and Alan Turing was a uh, resident there. He um, cracked some codes. It was absolutely fascinating. I really enjoyed our trip to Bletchley Park, actually. Mm. I had a good idea, didn't I? Not a good idea, but I had a good thought. You said it was a good thought. Which, which one was that? <laughs> the, <laughs> you have to distinguish it from the many good thoughts that you have, Ryan. The, right. Okay. <laughs> 
This will require some explanation. Well, this wasn't in the episode. No, no it wasn't. Funny that. <laughs> it was an observation I made that the gift shop, which employed many people, wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Hitler. That is not the phrase. The phrase that was used was, you all owe your jobs to Hitler. <laughs> and what was their response? I mean, it's not, I'm not wrong, though, am I? You're not wrong. I'm not wrong. <laughs> You're not wrong. Uh, no, we we, <laughs> we hastened on our way. <laughs> you, you owe your job to Hitler. <laughs> Prove me wrong. No, it was, it was accurate, but not well, necessarily helpful. All you need to do then is go back to something before then, and then you could make the same argument about anything that happened before then. Uh, you just to ruin my moment. <laughs> It wasn't a great moment. <laughs> well, I thought it was a genius thought. It was an interesting thought. Turing, People in the gift shop were not so impressed. Well, Turing wasn't so much a code breaker as someone who came up with the methods. We uh, came up with the methods for doing it. With. Mm. Wasn't it called Banbarismus? The sh- big sheets of paper that they had, where they initially started to do a, a sort of a manual comparison. No, I don't know. I didn't see that. The Outputs. I saw a statue of it made of slate. I've seen one made of coat hangers. Okay. <laughs> this is a thing. There's Alan, Alan Turing statues made of various household items. Yeah. I'd like you to tell me what he actually did in the 60s with um, bioengineering, as you said in your piece. Oh, by, oh yes. The, so it was modelling biological... But given that he was dead seven years. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, he's a late bloomer. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, what was he doing, Pete? <laughs> well, that's how talented he was. He was able to publish this groundbreaking research some years after his own death. Do you, do you want me to write this down? <laughs> for you, Paul. I'll just make a note, shall I? I can tell you what he was doing in 1948. Go ahead. This is oddly specific, isn't it? Very specific. Well, this would have been the Manchester baby. I don't know what that is. The computer. No, 1948, he was running. Oh, yes, he was a long, he was a cross country runner, wasn't he? Was he? Tremendously he was tremendously good at it as well. He was wasn't very he? good at running. He came fifth in a Olympic qualifying marathon. His time was two hours and 46 minutes. And to put it in perspective, the winning Olympic time uh, was only 10 minutes better. So that's quite, quite good going, right? It's impressive stuff. He was an impressive man. Yeah, for sure. And treated diabolically in what is one of the more shameful episodes in our history, I would say. Yes, I think so. With some of the later stuff that he was doing uh, during the war, wasn't he? With the with the Colossus and the uh, breaking of the Tunny codes, which were created on something called a Lorenz cipher, which was much more powerful than the Enigma. I don't know why people go on about Enigma. It's one of those. It was a pretty not low end, but it was a a, a general use machine. Whereas the Lorenz cipher was actually what was used between Hitler and his high command to keep the gift shops running. <laughs> <laughs> Need more erasers. (laughs) Tommy Flowers. Did you come across him at Bletchley Park? Tommy Flowers was the... Basically, the engineer who built the Colossus, which was the computer that broke not Enigma codes, but the really the really important ones. And it was amazing that they basically built it out of pre-existing GPO telephone parts. And 
yes, Turing's contribution was enormous, but there were lots of other people there as well, especially the engineers who built this thing, which probably advanced computing by 10 years in as many months to actually get it down with all of these old valves and didn't they use that washing machine line as well to tie it together? It's very Heath Robinson. But. That was my takeaway from it. It wasn't just Alan Turing on his own in a shed, right? Oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah, I think for me, the whole Bletchley Park takeaway wasn't really about Alan Turing. It was really about the testament to how much you could achieve if you put the right mix of people together and focus in a very specific way on a very specific problem. Without having to necessarily things. throw money at the problem. Right. They had the, the, the brains and the diversity of talent was, as you say, there was engineers, there's mathematicians, there's linguists. All these people needed to bring their own expertise. It wasn't no one person. You could crack the code, but if you didn't speak German, that was no good to you. So you need someone to speak German as well. It was just all of these the elements needed to add up and they just did amazing things. It was astonishing. Yeah, it really was. And of course, the secret never got out. And that, that was really poignant for me was, you know, what did you do in the war? Oh, nothing much. I really want to tell everyone how <laughs> Well, the, the, the Russians knew because they had spies. It never got back to Germany. There were a couple of scares. And I think if the people in Germany had been looking harder, and I think a lot of it was the Germans were arrogant to believe that it was unbreakable. Therefore, and actually, technically, it was not unbreakable. However, as with this thing, it's the human factor. You know, Germans would always end Heil Hitler, which is a crib. Mm-hmm. So you know that the last dozen letters are going to be Heil Hitler. Right. And so that's an enormous clue. And they didn't think about the obvious. And so the the people who were sending it as well had to use, they were supposed to use three random letters. Mm-hmm. Uh, the human brain is notoriously bad at being random. So it was quite easy to guess. And a lot of them just used the same letter. Yeah, a lot of people are lazy too, right? It's a very human and condition. The the one of the two main weaknesses of the Enigma was it could never encode a letter to itself. So if you typed an E, it would come up as any letter apart from an E. So if you had that clue of three letters that are the same, it gave you quite a big insight into how the machine how the machine was wired up. And they also had this thing called a plug board, which theoretically was supposed to make it more complex. But again, the human factor actually made it less complex because mm. it was easier it was easier to sort of work out what those uh, what those configurations of the plugboard of the enigma was it was much more complex because that was a purely digital system so it was all um zeros and ones which is why the computer was built to actually solve it of course yeah i, I thought there were some interesting paradoxes as well which was the one that one of the ones that struck me was the lorenz code as you say was the there's a more powerful code. But one of the paradoxes of that was if something was, if something was found that was encrypted with that code, you knew it was worth knowing, actually. And so you could really, it was, you knew to focus your efforts because you know that was the top level, most secure information. So, you know, as opposed to this is probably not biscuits. the laundry, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, enough. Move on. Next, Move on. Next bit. Let's Scotland. go to Scotland. I have to say, loved Edinburgh. I have been there once before, but only briefly for some comedy events that I was attending. 
Yeah, uh, if you've not had the luxury of, of visiting Edinburgh, do put it on your to-do list. Uh, it's a wonderful place. It's a it's a 3D city in the sense that you can be at the bottom of a street and there are another three streets above you and two yes. below you. And- Which is very bad for your map reading problem where you go, I'm in exactly the right spot, but I'm about 50 yards lower than I should be. Yeah. And there's no stairs. It's pretty and then when there are stairs, they're enormously long. <laughs> Yeah. So um, what should we talk about in Scotland? Well, Flora Stevenson, we did not talk about in the podcast, uh, but she is a, a member of the People on the £50 Note Society. Yeah, which is great. I want to be on the back of a £50 note. Yeah, you've got to do things right. This podcast, history happened everywhere on the back of a note. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? <laughs> so Flora Stevenson is an, another member of the £50 Club. She was a an educationalist. She set up in her home a school for messenger girls, I think it was. It's in a little crescent in Edinburgh. I couldn't find out a huge amount about her, which was surprising, because normally to be on a note it really implies that you've done something tremendously significant. These aren't Mm. just casual people they put on these things but uh, I didn't find out a massive amount about her but uh, we didn't talk about her so I thought I'd give her a little shout out on the show today oh that's great what I did want to talk about is Elsie English yes I thought she was great she was a magnificent that was a character a truly inspiring person who seemed to be entirely selfless and dedicated her life to helping other people yeah it made and me realise how little I'd done <laughs> you have done very little what really amazed me most about that story was the, the number of times she would go to the establishment and say, I'm going to help you. And they went, no, because you're a woman. Mm. <laughs> it's like, you guys are idiots. <laughs> At least the French were like, yep, come on, come and help. We'll take that. No problem. Yeah. It's just sort of cutting your nose off to spite your face there, really, aren't you? It was a sad end as well. She went out, she did her thing, and then she contracted, she didn't even get blown up in a war situation. It was the day after, I think, actually. I wanted a £50 note when we were in Scotland. I was like, let's get a £50 note from every country that we go to. And that was a genius idea that was surprisingly mm. hard to execute. Well, it's, it's to the point where I didn't get a single one. We went into the banks, didn't we? We and did. And we asked for £50 notes and they said, no. No, unless you bank with us, we cannot give you money of any kind to the extent that we don't, to this day, have one in our possession. Yeah. But no, Edinburgh was good to us. I think I enjoyed it and I would very much like to come back. HHE live. <laughs> we did talk about Iron Brew. We did. And um, you know how you said that they had the slogan made from girders? Yes. And we said it's not actually made from girders, uh, but it does have some iron in it. It contains 0.002% of ammonium ferric citrate. Iron hydroxide. Ah. It also con- uh, contains quinine. Oh, nice. So it's good for gin and tonic. When there was an international event in Edinburgh, they gave the delegates iron brew. And apparently most of the Americans hard pass on the iron brew. But Which is weird given they created it. Right. But Antonio Casio-Cortez said she really liked it and it reminded her of something Mexican. There's a Mexican drink, I guess, that's of uh, similar flavour. Yeah, no, I could see that. You know who else likes it? Only the Russians. Oh, really? Yeah, it was introduced to Russia in the late 90s, and it became hugely popular, widely considered in Russia to be one of their top-selling soft drinks. Oh, right. Okay. Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland. Lovely. That was our driving portion of the journey. It was also a very early start to the day. That was a solid 4am start. So what, you went there from Edinburgh? Yes. Correct. Uh, that's been quite a logistical task, this. Correct. Yeah, so we had a car section in Northern Ireland. We drove out to the Bushmills Distillery, which was annoyingly closed. We went to the to the Giant's Causeway as well, that's though. That's quite close we to that, there. isn't it? Yeah, very yeah. close indeed. But five minutes down the road, close. 
had a lovely time looking at the amazing rocks out there. But it was lovely. Uh, it's a remarkable piece of natural. You can imagine how people would have made stories about it because yes. it's so weird. It sits sort of plonked in this otherwise normal bit of coastline. Almost perfect. Yeah, it's great. And it, the, the thought that it would be natural just wouldn't cross your mind, I think, if you Not didn't at have all. any It doesn't look context. natural. It looks like someone put it there. Like cobblestones sure. or something from an ancient civilization. It definitely looks like it's been left. Yeah. And it's remarkable. Um, and and so what's the conspiracy theory about that then? Aliens. <laughs> um, then we went back to the university, which was, it was a really nice university, I have to say. It had a really, I hesitate to say it, but a very university feel. <laughs> you know, when you get that sense of the sort of campus life and... Academia. Yeah, it was great. I really enjoyed it. I've never been to Northern Ireland. Highly recommend Belfast. It's a lovely town. And then we got a train to Cardiff. And we did try and get a ferry. It didn't work. We were hoping to go through all the means of transport. But yeah, I was disappointed not to be able to get that. No. So we got to Cardiff and obviously we had a problem in that there were no... I, I couldn't... It might be that something Welsh was on a £50 note historically, but I, I didn't really find anything. And we were try, I was trying to focus on modern banknotes, which were strangely lacking in things Welsh, I'm afraid. Well, as we were saying earlier, because Wales is not a legal entity. They, there's no real reason why they couldn't have had a bank, ultimately. If you can have retail banks... Well, given that Wales is larger than Northern Ireland. Right. If you can have four banks in Northern Ireland and three of them in Scotland issuing notes, why couldn't you have a Welsh bank issuing notes? It's, uh, but the, the story that I found, that I only found it from one place. It was very specific. But it did seem to suggest that Welsh had, the Welsh had been done dirty to some extent in the matter of banking. Just in the matter of banking? Well, probably in many other ways as well, but that's the one I looked into. Yeah. But the Cardiff Castle was very nice. Again, it was a lovely town. We uh, had a rather nice... Well, Cardiff Castle is a fake, though, isn't it? Is well, it? yes and no. It was originally a Roman fort, so it has been a defensive entity there for some time. Uh, the, the Lord Bute, Scottish, richest man in the world for quite a long time. Oh, really? It was, that's why things he built in Cardiff and as it Castel Koch absolutely over the top no expense spared he was the richest man in the world oh, nice. he basically owned the south Wales coal fields ah. it's like oil fields of the day right yeah so the i think what would what you're talking about there is that in the victorian era the cardiff castle was sort of a medieval Theme themed <laughs> uh, area so but historically actually there had always been something there it was right back until the roman times and now it's a tourist destination and very nice it is too and so peter goddard we have come to the end of the line the train line uh it's time to step into the dock will you please prepare to face the people's judge i'm ready judge dursley are you ready to give your verdict Almost. Then will the defendant please rise? Yes, sir. Your Honour, as usual, may we start proceedings by first asking for your verdict on factual content. Generally, the factual content was quite good. However, there was a particular bugbear of mine given square kilometres and kilometres squared. So you said Scotland was something like 32,000 kilometres squared, which would be larger than the surface of the planet. Oh, yeah, it's big. So I'm afraid I'm going to have to mark you down on that. Understood. Well, it was going to be a C, it's now a C minus. 
May we have your verdict on entertainment value? Uh, when I could hear it, I think it was quite good. But as Ryan is in charge of sound quality, I can't really mark Pete down on that. No, I think we have to. We live, stand and fall together, Ryan and I, in the matter of. So you want delivery. me to, to mark, You want me to mark you down I again? Do. I want to face that. I want to face my face. C plus. <laughs> okay. It was my episode. It was a Every B, aspect it was of a it is me. B minus. I, <laughs> I could have fixed it. I could have done something about the sound. They can't be blaming Ryan for things that were also within my control. Your Honour, may we now ask for your final grade before we move on to the verdict. The Dursley Factor. Well, the Bletchley Park piece piqued my interest as it was one of... Not a pet subject, but I've been to Bletchley Park. I know a bit about about what happened there and the, the code breaking it. So, so it tickled the Dursley factor. Yes. Nailed that. So I would give that an A minus. Yes. An A minus. That's I knew amazing. That. I knew Turing would take me over the top. But you haven't got the real verdict yet. Yes. Okay. We reach the final verdict. Peter, before the judge passes his verdict, you have an opportunity to enter a plea. If you choose to do so, please do that plea now. I would like to state that this was the 50th episode special. We went on the road and did things we hadn't done before. We broke new ground. We achieved things that we'd never achieved before. We went to places we've never been before. It was, in many ways, an innovation in and, podcasting. And not at all just a fun holiday. Not at all. If you think we had a great time, well, shame on you, because we were there for work and work only. Gosh, it was hard. It was terrible. <laughs> Should I take another defender for that? <laughs> Given you, that I wasn't invited. Have you reached a verdict? Yes, I have. In which case, I would ask most respectfully for your group. B minus. <gasps> B minus. There'll be champagne in the Goddard household tonight, Ryan. I can tell you that for nothing. <laughs> what, your Prosecco that you offered me? I was no, no, I didn't surprise me that the bottle was still half full. Champagne. Champagne. I'll have you know. Yeah, yeah. the last time I was here, I bought decent champagne. And what you actually did. Return? That's what you half get for being the verdict. Flats Prosecco with a post-it note on it. <laughs> <laughs> And so the eyes of the world turn, and they're turning towards me. <laughs> it's episode 51 next, Pete. Animal in Dominica during 1764 to 1848. I think that aardvark in your bathroom is something to do with this. But that is it for this week. So uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch about any of the things that we've talked about on this show, or just to say hello, you can reach out to us on social media. Where's my Uber? Through our website at hhepodcast.com, or by email at Pete and Ryan at hhepodcast.com, or the judge at hhepodcast.com. Do get in touch. We love hearing from you, and you might end up featured on a future show. Uh, if you really want to be featured, do rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts, because that recommendation pushes us out into the wide world and new people people can discover the wonders of history happened everywhere. That's right. And if you're on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, you can find us there because of course we'd be there. It's at HHE Podcast. And if you subscribe, you're going to get an alert every time we post one of our little one minute animated HHE bites. Uh, we'll be back again soon with the next episode. Obviously, in the meantime, we do have back catalogues of episodes. You can find that in your podcast app, YouTube, or the website, HHEPodcast.com. All right. So a huge thank you to the judge. Uh, my pleasure.
pleasure. And well done to you, Peter. Thank you very much. Another excellent episode. I guess all that's left to say is... You've been listening to... And that's it. I guess all that's left to say is... What do you want me to say? (laughs) Just say you've been listening to... But you've just said you've been listening to... (laughs) But I want you to say it. And that's it. I guess all that's left to say is... Well, you've obviously been listening to, or else you wouldn't... No. (laughs) And that's it. I guess all that's left to say is... You've been listening to me babbling <laughs> on about a load of rubbish. Pete, do you want to do it? <laughs> Someone Mama, say I just it. Said, got, well, it's obvious that you've been listening to. <laughs> all right. And that's it. I guess all that's left to say is... Oh, Christ. I've done this so many f***ing times. <laughs> I'll just say it once. <laughs> and that's it. I guess all that's left to say is... Goodbye. Stilton?